as my dear colleague, um, Pastor Kiana shared with us, we are in the season of Advent. And um, Advent comes from um, a word that means like to come or also um, has this connotation of waiting. I also want you to know that the season of Advent marks the beginning of the new year of the liturgical calendar or of the Christian calendar. So while people will be getting really excited on New Year's Eve for a chronological new year, we as people of faith believe that on the first Sunday of Advent, we usher in a new way of thinking about time. So grateful for my dear colleague and friend, Dr. Fatima Saleh, who helped us um, to um, have a holy disruption of how we understand what time looks like in our lives. We keep our eyes on God's clock and not only on a chronological clock. I wonder how we would watch the news differently or listen to the news differently if we began to think, but this is the season when we were supposed to dream differently about how we order time that we start our new year in a posture of waiting. We start our new year believing that the world as it is is not the world as it should be. We start our new year keeping our hands and our hearts and our lives open to the coming Christ. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this um, in the midst of the sermon, not this idea of like a left behind series, but the coming of Christ that is made known on this earth, that jubilee that we talked about at our seven-year anniversary is a jubilee that we live every single day of our life. We believe that everybody will sit under their own fig tree, that people will want no more, that weeping and crying will be no more. That is the work that we do in Advent. Don't believe the hype. We don't go from Thanksgiving and then skip over and then just sing loud hallelujahs on Christmas. Instead, we are people who say we are hoping and believing and waiting on a world that will look like it has been fashioned by a God who says Jubilee is for all of us. So this morning, we're going to read from one of the prophetic texts. It's the appointed Old Testament lesson for this second Sunday of Advent. It comes from the 11th chapter of Isaiah. Um, Kiana has read this uh, responsively with us, and we're going to read um, the whole text again. In verse 10, there's going to be a small portion of the passage of Scripture that is in bold, and I'm going to invite you when we get to that portion of um, Scripture that we say it all together, those three words. Hear now these words from Isaiah chapter 11, beginning with the first verse. And the prophet says this, a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, or from the house of David, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And the understanding is that this is speaking of the coming Messiah that we know or are claimed to be Jesus the Christ. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf 
shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. Will you say with me, on that day, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I know when we were in school, um, you might remember that your English teacher or whoever um, taught you how to write, that you, um, you needed to focus most specifically on the thesis statement. Like that, that was supposed to be the most important part of your paper. Now, I'm not here to go back and forth with any of you who might be English teachers in this room. However, I want to say that I think that transition statements in a paper or in a story are probably just as important as a thesis statement. I'll take the smoke if someone wants to come after me for saying that. There is power in these small transition phrases and words. Even still, but therefore, and yet, in that day, on that day. Because those small little transition statements tell us that in the midst of this narrative or the story or whatever you might be writing, that there's about to be a shift, a change, or there is going to be some movement. Small little words, small little phrases, and yet they can change everything about what you are trying to say. This seems to be the role of the prophets, especially in the appointed texts during the, um, the Advent season. We're going to hear um, Isaiah over and over and over again say, in that day, on that morning, on this mountain, in this place, or in our passage of scripture this morning, on that day, these prophets who are our Old Testament activists and heralds of their time come with these little phrases, these little sayings that help us to know there's about to be a shift, a change in the story. And the change in the story isn't simply to change the lives of individuals, but the shift that comes in some of these transition statements mean that there is going to be a shift in our collective lives. That whole nations, that whole peoples, will know something other than the present circumstances that they find themselves. On that day, on that day, the one who comes out of the root of Jesse will stand as a signal that there is a new way of being on this earth. Verse 10 is that shift that we know that this new world order that is described in the first part of Isaiah chapter 11 is not just simply a suggestion of God, but is going to actually be the reflection of God on this earth. On that day, on that day, you have to understand these three little words, 
If you were to say them over and over and over again, if you were like, you know what, I can't memorize Scripture, but let me tell you what I know is an important part from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. On that day, you would need to know that your on that day is being spoken to a people who are in exile, who have been living a pretty violent and traumatic life. Isaiah is speaking to those who have been cut off. <laughs> Friends, listen, people who have been cut off from a place called home, whose identity and culture and language cut off, who live as those on the margins. And it's not just been for a couple of years, but for many years and for decades. And these people are beginning to lose hope that all that God has promised and said will be for them, will it actually come to pass? And so over and over again, Isaiah, not only in the 11th division of Isaiah's words, but throughout the book of, um, of Isaiah, Isaiah will paint a picture of God's promises that seem to be too good to be true, but are actually true because God is able. So Isaiah is able to say, this one who is coming into the world, this one who will be called the Holy One, when they judge, they will not judge like the Assyrians judge by what they see, thinking of you as being different. But instead, this one who will come will judge with equity. Oh my gosh, come on, cert. This one will judge with equity. Can you imagine being in the presence of one who doesn't just judge you based off of your wrongs or your faults, but is like, no, I judge from a place of equity that you will have everything that you need to flourish. That is the judgment of this holy one. And that the one, this holy one, is going to come from the root of Jesse. It, it, it's, it's, um, it's, it's supposed to, like, bear witness that this coming Messiah is going to actually have humble beginnings. We'll have a nearness and a familiarity with those who are oftentimes on the margin. We'll not be one who is on a high and holy throne, disconnected from people, but will be of the people and from the people and for the people and with the people. Isaiah is saying that with this shift on that day, the world as it is is going to become the world as it should be. That the things that you have heard about this mighty one, this God who loves and cares about you and who has created you in God's image will bring it to pass. A future that is glorious. So that you might know that this transition statement means a shift in our story. On that day. The root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples, and it says, and it will be glorious. It will be glorious. Isaiah's words do sound too good to be true. I have to admit it has been difficult since October to come into worship and to feel overly happy clappy or to feel like I'm not doing a disservice by um, not naming the realities of the world. This 
This prophetic word really does feel too good to be true because every single Sunday that we gather, we gather when there is so much turmoil and hurt and pain and woundedness and brokenness and death in this world. And so for Isaiah to say, but on that day, there will be one who rules, taking our bodies and our situations into consideration for our flourishing. That this Holy One will come and that righteousness will be the belt around his waist and so will faithfulness. Um, righteousness meaning love married to justice. That's going to be the garments of this one who will be in power, not over us, but with us. And then maybe the favorite part of the scripture for me is, is this um, reflection of a peaceable kingdom. In fact, this particular passage of scripture is oftentimes called the peaceable kingdom. That the calf and a lion will lie down together, that the leopard and the kid will lie down together. Friends, do you watch National Geographic and see that happening? I know we've seen deer and dogs become friends. But oftentimes we do not see antelopes and lions nuzzling up to each other. It says that this particular peaceable kingdom, that a child can put their hands over the nest of a serpent, of an adder, and be okay, that there will be no hurt. There will be no hurt. I love just like the simple language, there will be no hurt on this holy mountain on that day. This is what Jubilee will look like on that day. This is what our collective lives will look like on that day. This is what we will understand to be our lives on that day, not just a suggestion of the Lord. On that day, the promise of God, this will be what we will know. And this is the message of the church in this season. To recognize God's preferred future is what we are waiting for. That Advent reminds us that this coming Messiah is one we know and is to come. As I shared before, that the Advent of Christ, when we say that Christ has come and Christ is coming again, don't, don't uh, thwart your imagination to only think about left behind. You know, in the case of the rapture, this car will be left unmanned. Oh, no. What if our waiting, our posture is because we so deeply, with an unwavering faith, have tethered ourselves to Jubilee? Because we actually believe, as wild as it may seem beyond these four walls, that everyone can have what they have and what they need. That we can actually believe that there will not be one child who goes to bed hungry or wakes up hungry. That Jubilee looks like that those who are downtrodden will rejoice, that there will be no such thing as the margins because all will be centered by God. You will always look like those who are ones who dream in the season of Advent when we say, this is not what we're going to settle on. We are waiting for more. And on that day, 
And on that day, we are going to signal to the thing that we believe that God is doing among us, that those who cower under bombing will have light to shine upon them. On that day, that those who sit on thrones will come down and the lowly will be lifted up. On that day, that the ones will call him wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting guardian. On that day, that those who are threatened by unjust systems will know what it is to live free and liberated. On that day, that we will lay down our weapons and pick up instruments of praise on that day. That the weary world will rejoice on that day. I feel like I, I have only five sermons in my pocket lately. And that one of them is about how we have an imagination for this world. And I'm perfectly okay with that being one of the five. Because this world is going to always try to limit your imagination for what can be. This world will always be working that you will settle on the, I mean, breadcrumbs when we have the bread of heaven. The practice during Advent is to hold on and to not dismiss that all is not well with the world. But it is also to keep our hearts and our minds and our lives open to a God who brings about and on that day and in the days to come and however and yet and even still. Our moral courage and our distinctiveness in this world will be how much we hold on to hope to the on that day. I was reminded that Toni Morrison one time said um, that she hopes that she never stops being shocked. And that she will never ever become numb. That we will never become the people who think it is okay for peoples to be obliterated and to think somehow that is the fulfillment of God. Be unsettled. Feel a holy haunting. Be wholly restless. Let your life be disrupted by an imagination for something that is more on that day. And what we do when we come into this place is not happy clappy, friends. It is, is us mustering up all the courage to have the kind of faith and the belief and an imagination to believe that maybe that on that day can begin on this day. Because what we believe and what we have a vision for will be what we will also live into. Your Advent work is not to find the perfect gift. Your Advent work is not to make sure that your house is the most beautifully adorned. Your Advent work is not to make sure that the cards get out on time before Epiphany. Your Advent work is to wait and to wait with hope on that day. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for making us a broken record. Thank you for making us the kind of people who say the same things over and over and over and over and over again. 
until we cannot not believe it. That you who are the Holy One, that you who are the Mighty One, you who are the Just One, that you who are the Righteous One, that you who are the Gracious One, you have the power to redeem all things. You have the power to bring jubilee even in the midst of war and genocide. That you have the power to turn our hearts and our lives and our imaginations to that which is more expansive than what empire would have us to believe. That on that day, O oh God, we would be like those who dream, but we too would be heralds of hope in due time and in due season, that on this day, we believe. On that day, we believe. That God, what feels like too good to be true is the work that you are about. Thank you, God, for making us a broken record so that those who are weary, that those who do not have the energy or the strength to believe, for those who are simply trying to survive and make it to another day, might sense deep within that there is this community of people whose imagination has been shaped by a God who says that none will hurt or be destroyed in my presence. A root might come up from the Southeast Raleigh table that we might believe, Lord, and live like we believe, trusting that in your goodness, this world as it is, by your grace, will become the world as it should be. This we pray, Lord, in the strong name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.